Welcome back to the Stuck In Between podcast. My name is Rami. And I'm Sandhan. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're joined by Lakshmi Nirmalananda, founder of children's toys and educational resources company, Heritage Supply Co. Lakshmi shares the journey of a business and its mission to pass on wisdom, language, culture, and art of ancient heritages. Lakshmi also discusses the importance of preserving and passing on heritage and how younger generations such as ourselves can pass on language and culture to the next generation. This conversation left us feeling so wholesome and motivated. We hope you enjoy it too. Now onto the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I know you have a busy schedule with multiple children, <laughs> so we appreciate your time on a Sunday. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, thank you so much for coming, Lakshmi Akka. And just for our listeners, when Lakshmi Akka arrived, she was greeted by my parents. And I feel like that in itself was like a mini podcast, just listening <laughs> to them figure out that there are some family connections, which you know, we had no clue about uh, when coordinating for you to come on, um, which is kind of crazy, right? Like Several generations. Until, yeah. yeah. I think we need to start like a segment with my parents, with the guests we have, just to be like... <laughs> just trying to figure out figure how out they know everyone. Yeah. <laughs> that's so true. And connections from all corners of the world, yeah. it sounds like. Yeah, that's yeah. so true. Well, before we get kick-started, could you tell us a little bit about your ethnic background and where you grew up? Sure. So I'm Lakshmi and I'm a proud Ilangay Tamil Yalpane Tamil girl. Um, <laughs> born and raised in a little town called Lancaster and you know now it's a little bit larger but at the time when my parents had migrated there which is about 40 years ago mm-hmm. it was uh, a, a very small community and we were lucky to have a small intimate community of Sri Lankan Tamils who had known each other from Yalpanam to medical school maybe in Peradeniya mm-hmm. to yeah. Colombo and then had migrated together to California and so we used to often joke about that a lot and say, you know, because of all the Sri Lankan Tamils there, we would just call it Sri Lancaster <laughs> for a joke. So That's so good. <laughs> but um, yeah, I grew up in this small community and I think because it was such a tiny community of, of immigrants who had very strong bonds to Sri Lanka and to Yalpanam, they were so keen on raising their children with strong ties to their ancestral mm. lands and to the culture and the language. And so even though we were growing up, in this very heavily Caucasian community, we actually had a lot of access to our language and culture, and we were raised in such a very cultural setting, which has definitely influenced the people that we've all become, I think, you know, 40 years later and more. And as well, while we were growing up in Lancaster, in the backdrop was this civil war in Sri Lanka, where a lot of the families who were living in Lancaster at the time had left just before the conflict erupted, but some of the families that started to trickle in were relatives of these Mm. original families who had migrated, and a lot of them were fleeing war. And a lot of us had family who were directly experiencing the conflict back in Sri Lanka or had relatives who had now become refugees in other neighboring countries. So we grew up, you know, with this very nurturing and nourishing upbringing in Lancaster with all this beautiful language and culture but at the same time in parallel to all of this we were growing up 
hearing nonstop about the violence and attempted ethnic cleansing of the Tamil people. And that's also really heavily influenced, I think, a lot of our career choices and our strong attachment to our culture and our identity back home. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And I guess um, we'll get into it a, a little bit, but I'm sure that was a lot of the reason why you started your business, the Heritage Supply Co. But before we dive into it, could you tell us a little bit about it and what your mission statement is really about? Yeah, so the Heritage Supply Co. is a small business that's committed to preserving and passing on the language, culture, and art of ancient heritage. And it's also meant to nurture a pride and a passion in the younger generation around their multicultural identities. So we do this through the creation of educational toys and learning resources that are grounded in South Asian traditions. And our products are trying really hard to bridge old world knowledge and wisdom into contemporary designs mm. that are making products that are really beautiful and practical and easy yeah. to use for younger families. So all in all, what we're trying to do is normalize culture, diversity and cultural play in households, in classrooms and in playrooms all over the world. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's awesome. I was having a conversation with someone talking about how we want to pass on culture to our potential future children. But it's going to be really tricky for us too because we didn't grow up the same way that our parents did. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's a little bit more diluted what we could pass on. Um, so it's really cool seeing businesses like yours pop up because it's like, you know, we do have all these resources mm. um, around us where we can still pass on tradition in like a new cool way. Yeah. Um, but going back to what you were saying, you mentioned that before moving to Australia, you were in all parts of the world. What were you doing before you started Heritage Supply Co.? So my career was actually in international economic development, and wow. my specialty was in inclusive microfinance, livelihoods and agriculture development, specifically focusing on the poorest of the poor. Mm. And so my job took me to all corners of the world, just all across South and Southeast Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa and a little bit in South America as well. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. And um, it was some of the greatest experiences of my life. And it, it's really interesting because what took me into international development was what was happening in Sri Lanka. Mm. Growing up, I did have that standard response of I want to be a doctor or I want to be a lawyer. But if I were to really be honest... You know, I knew I wanted to go into international development or international law because I wanted to find a way to be a part of the rebuilding of my ancestral land. And it was because that. of what was happening in Sri Lanka. So in high school, this uncle, along with a couple of uncles in Sri Lancaster, they thought, you know what, it's time for our children to fully understand the conflict, the history, what's going on, and they should also play a part in this the way we have. So we grew up hearing about the liberation movement, hearing about the struggles, hearing about the destruction, and the way it was affecting our families personally, but also the greater community. And so we were also watching our parents raise funds to contribute mm -hmm. towards humanitarian relief efforts, mm -hmm. And I think it was amazing for our parents and that generation to try and educate us and raise awareness so that we too could be sympathetic yeah. and empathetic yeah. to what was happening yeah. in Sri Lanka. And so when we were in high school, they brought us together and started to share with us the human rights violations that were happening against Tamil people. And then the youth decided to form a group called Tamil Youth for Human Rights. And that was the beginning of so much because at 16, we were starting to engage in advocacy efforts mm. and trying to get the U.S. government and the foreign policy to shift towards supporting and being sympathetic towards what was happening to the Tamil community in Sri Lanka. 
And then that wasn't enough for us. We thought, well, advocacy and politics is one thing, but we also want to give back to the community and find ways to support the humanitarian and relief efforts of Tamil communities. So we started to do fundraising and and, um, wanted to support the refugees, the internally displaced communities. Mm -hmm. And I think in the process of that, that's what really... I think catalyzed my professional ambitions Mm. and to go into this field. And I think all of this, funnily enough, after everything has kind of prepared and set the stage for the Heritage Supply Co. Because without any of these experiences, I wouldn't have gravitated towards languages, travel. And as you know, with working with the poorest communities, you're going into very rural, remote areas of any of these countries. So there's a big difference between traveling to go on holiday to the countries and then going for work you're visiting the places nobody wants to go to so the beauty of that though is that you get to see how actually the majority of the world live without amenities electricity water but the the nice side of it is you actually get to see communities that are relatively untouched Mm. haven't been affected by modernization their cultures the way they live their practices are all intact as they have been for thousands of years and to me that was incredibly beautiful and something that i thought we've got to find a way to preserve this and not let it end up in a museum Yeah. yeah did you i really hope you kept a diary or something through all of these experiences because i feel like there'd be so much yeah you know this was all pre-social media (laughs) and pre-smartphones but you know i did um dabble in photography because of this so i did capture it in in photographs and i also did maintain a little blog that i had up to talk about the experience it's wonderful that your parents and the rest of the, the older generations in that community didn't shield you guys from what was actually happening in sri lanka at that Mm. time to kind of you know, protect you or keep you away from anything that's negative. But I think mm. it's so important that even the negative things that are happening are passed on to younger generations because that's what's really fueled your passion and everything you've done since then. Absolutely. Yeah. And it kind of also helps justify, you know, why we are where we are mm. and the privileges that we have. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Um, you kind of started answering my next question, um, but what kind of sparked the business ideas to leave kind of that industry and shift into starting something of your own? Yeah, definitely. So I'm an amma to four little girls and oh. they're the ultimate reason why I started the Heritage Supply Sign Co. Up. I was so keen for my girls to know, appreciate and embrace the richness of their cultural identity and language. And I wanted them to find a joy and pride in their ancestral heritage in beautiful and playful ways. I also wanted them to relish and treasure other ancient cultures before they ended up in museums. Mm -hmm. I think these days what we see is, you know, between colonization and, you know, misplaced economic interests, so many ancient cultures are disappearing all over the world. And I think it's such a travesty because these have lasted for thousands of years. And there's a reason why it's because they're so, you know, in touch with nature and they're so ingrained in, you know, the fundamentals of who we are as a species and where we come from. And there's so much wisdom and art and respect for nature and respect for life. And I think that it would be such a shame for these to end up in museums. And I think it's up to us to do our part to safeguard these and Mm -hmm. keep them alive and keep them as treasures that are something that our generation and future generations can appreciate and fall back on in times of need. I love that. That's so special. 
and and to your mission on striving to pass on culture and heritage what i also love about your brand is the importance you place on sustainability and yeah. playing your part to also pass on the healthiest environment possible mm. to the next generation as well could you speak a little to that yeah absolutely so sustainability is a big part of our business we're really proud to be the first triple bottom line south asian business of our generation so wow. what that means is our environmental and our social bottom line are equally if not more important than our financial bottom line so speaking to sustainable heritage which is a big part of our brand all our products are environmentally friendly and we are trying to be as eco-friendly as we can so all our wooden and paper products are made out of 100% recycled sustainably awesome. sourced oh. wood. We use non-toxic inks. Yeah. Um, we try to give back a portion of every sale towards various charities that we thoroughly vet and support wow. the various indigenous groups or cultural groups that are represented in our products. Mm. So just like with culture, I think the way we see language, wisdom and art as something that's been passed down to us for generations, for thousands of years and we're merely safeguarding these treasures for the future generations. Mm. So in that same way, that's how we view the planet. It's something that's mm. been just given to us from our ancestors that we're safeguarding for the future generation. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's that's so phrase so beautiful. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess to that as well, what kinds of products can people find in your store? I mean, just looking through your Instagram page, I've seen different types of products and not just in the Tamil language, but other languages as well. So could you talk us through that a little bit? Sure. So we create children's educational toys that are meant to be a first exposure to little ones of their language and culture. And language is one of the easiest ones. Just like when we're young, we start off with our ABCs and one, two, threes. So I thought, why not do that with language and starting with South Asian language I obviously wanted to do Tamil because that's what's nearest and dearest to my heart and it's part of our effort to keep that identity and culture alive and kicking but I also was looking at India and you've got Hindi and Gujarati two of the biggest language groups in the country and so I thought if we're looking at these two modern lands, let's start off with these three languages. Yeah. So we do jigsaw puzzles. We're doing wall decals, which can also be used as flashcards. And they're animal themed, which is very fun and attractive for kids. So mm. with each of these products, um, we teach the letters. We teach basic vocabulary. All our products include English transliteration, pronunciation guides, and English definitions so that it's super easy for anyone, not even people of Tamil or Gujarati or Hindi heritage, but literally anyone in the world mm -hmm. who's interested in South Asia, its language and its cultures can pick up these products and use them with so much ease. The art is all custom commissioned. So we have all the artwork done by South Asian graphic designers that I work very closely with. So we want to keep the art authentic. We want to mm. keep the jobs as much as possible to the communities that are being represented by the products. So this is all, again, in line with the sustainable heritage yeah. idea and trying to keep it within the community to the full extent possible. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I think another point is as well, you know, I know there's um, things like Tamil school or Hindi school. I'm sure that people were kind of like forced to go to as kids, yeah. mm. whereas this makes it a part of their play, which yeah. I think is what makes it really unique. And it's not like they're being forced to learn something. Right. And obviously, I mean, 
kids pick up so much at a young age that people don't even realize right so it's so important to be incorporating and yeah you're nailing it on the head Romy like going back to your previous question about what inspired the business I wanted to mention as well that you know when I had kids and they were growing up and I used to watch them play with VTech toys where you know there was a button they would push and it would teach (laughs) them their ABCs and one two threes and without me having to do anything they were learning so much from these yeah. toys and I would look at this and tell my husband, I said, wouldn't it be so cool if we had the Tamil version or, you know, the Hindi version yeah. of this so that imagine how much the kids would learn through self-play and what would be normalized in their playrooms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would go on to Google, I would go on to Amazon India and see what's available on these storefronts. And when my in-laws or my parents would go back to Sri Lanka to visit family, I'd say, can you just pop into the local bookshop or toy shops? Because surely they're going to have the local equivalent of what we're using here in the States and Australia. And when they'd come back, they'd say they couldn't find a thing. And when I would go onto Amazon India, I would just find products that were also trying to teach English and the ABCs to the kids. So it goes back to your points that... I think in these countries, they've been so outward looking and it's quote unquote cool to be Western. It's quote unquote cool to be modern. And I think that they're forgetting what they have in their own homeland and how important it is to do their part to keep those alive as well. Whereas when you're in the motherland, you can almost take it for granted Granted. because it's all around you. You almost have more of an appreciation for it because you're a little bit removed, removed given Definitely. that you don't live in that land itself. Whereas Absolutely. you see a lot of westernization happen in India, Sri Lanka and those countries uh, where they're trying to bring in other cultures and not realizing the value of Absolutely. their own. Yeah. yeah. And what Sen said before about how what we will pass on to our you know, future children will be a little bit diluted because we're not yeah. as connected or our, you know, we don't know, not everyone knows the language and things like mm-hmm. that. So this even helps like us kind of, you know, if we were to have children to have toys like this really helps them kind of self-learn to your point before. Yeah. And a lot of people are also in like interracial relationships and mm-hmm. stuff. So it Absolutely. makes it even more difficult in that sense to yeah. like, work together to pass one thing on so stuff like this can help like one person pass one language on and the other pass the other on and yeah definitely we've had some people buy the products who are american caucasian or american british married to a sri lankan tamil american but they're able to pick up the products and use them with their kids because of the english translation exactly and we've just now looked beyond language we moved into into sensory products so I call it cultural sensory play. Mm -hmm. So we've created eco cutters, which are Play-Doh cutters that can also be used for cookies and things like that. Where again, instead of having just the standard unicorns and rainbows, why not take what kids use here as quote unquote modern play and bring that cultural Mm -hmm. element to it? So now the the newest set of cutters that we've released have, you know, the block printing that you see on textiles. We've brought that artwork in the form of peacocks and Mm. um, elephants that kids can play play Play-Doh with. And we've created maps of Sri Lanka, maps Mm. of India, so that kids look at these shapes and they can easily identify what their motherland or ancestral land looks Mm. like. And then these are complemented or supplemented by these timber tiles, which are almost like individual wooden flashcards that have the map of Sri Lanka or the map of India. It shows the state demarcations. In the case of Sri Lanka, I had to put the district demarcations because given the conflict and given the threat of identity 
being eliminated, essentially. I thought it was really important for kids to be able to look at this and learn specifically mm. the significant landmarks to Tamil identity and to the liberation movement. And even if you're not someone who is particularly passionate about the politics, it's still important to know these lands because they are significant to the Tamil identity and to your ancestral roots. So. For sure. And just going yeah. back to um, what you were saying about how for kids to have toys and resources that connect them to their ancestral roots also plants that seed of, you know, taking pride in where Absolutely. you came from, which mm. is, you know, super powerful. Definitely. Um, your ideas for the puzzles and the play cutters and the wall decals, where does all that inspiration come from? Like, how did you come across the idea for those types of toys specifically? So, um, the inspiration comes from so much. So it comes from a lot of the communities that I visited and traveled to through my work and through just adventure travel. I think it's inspired by the community that I grew up in. My ancestors definitely have inevitably influenced mm. a lot of the choices and the direction I've taken with this. And then finally, my kids and just seeing what is relevant, what's interesting mm. to children now yeah. in this generation. It's so different even to the way we grew up. But at the same time, you know, some people have said, why don't you develop an app? And I said, you know, I don't want to encourage more screen time. I know mm. it's already inevitable. The kids are going to be using it for personal as well as academic purposes. I want them to still, you know, be able to develop fine motor skills and have that sensory play and stimulation. It affects brain development. It affects so many things. And you can't appreciate art and language just from a screen. It's by sure. touching it feeling it, playing with it, you know, that's how kids are going to truly appreciate this and that's how they're going to truly develop. So I wanted to keep things somewhat old school in that respect. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Keep it classic. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah certainly. Um, how long did it take for you to, to have the idea of starting this business and then actually execute and, you know, start pumping out your products? So I started thinking about it we were on the road in Vietnam. I remember we were in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and we're driving back to, I think, Ho Chi Minh City. And we had yeah. three hours and started talking about all these ideas of having the comparable VTech toy, but to teach Tamil to the kids. And I was starting to design it and think about it. This was back in January 2017. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Four, 2018. Yeah, yeah. Three and a half years ago. Yeah. yeah. And then my husband said, why don't you do it yourself? And so I immediately, I had to ask him permission. I said, can I use my data? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start researching right now. And he said, okay, go for it. And so I started to think about the name of the business and the products. And, you know, as soon as we got back to Australia, I looked into registering it and trademarking the name and then just started working on it from there and researching the whole process of how do you even productize an idea yeah. and then bring it to market and all the gazillion steps in between and my learning curve and it still is it's unbelievable and it's challenging and yeah. it's 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 hard and I really appreciated when you did the interview with Tamana yeah um, yeah when she said you know it looks so simple and easy and beautiful when you see it on a product page for someone to shop but how much love and effort and care and attention and blood, sweat and tears went yeah. into bringing this product out. You know, no one could know till you are on that journey, yeah. you know, with us yeah. to yeah. see how it comes to fruition. Yeah. So. 
Um, so I guess we're interested in, in knowing as well. You mentioned before that, you know, you'd ask your in-laws or your parents to pop into a shop in Sri Lanka to see if they've got any, you know, toys in language or that speak to yeah. the culture. With your brand now and your store, do you see majority of your customers being people like yourself in the West with young mm-hmm. children, but with like a, you know, South Asian heritage? Um, or do you also see people in countries like India and Sri Lanka start to take an interest in your product? Yeah, definitely. When I was reaching graphic designers in India, in Delhi and in Sri Lanka to work with us on the products, yeah. they asked me, are you going to be releasing these products here? And I said, oh, I hadn't really thought about that. I think that was more of like a tertiary market. My, my priority market was the diaspora communities mm. in the quote unquote Western worlds, because that's where I saw the thirst mm. and the need for this. And they actually reminded me that we couldn't actually take it for granted that it's in the lands that these cultures were born in, Mm. that they're at threat of disappearing in some ways because everyone's leaning towards the West Mm. and leaning towards modernization. I think social media, and even in general growing up, it's been quote-unquote cool to be Western and fashionable, but it's also been seen as uncool to be attached to your language and your culture. And it's, it's such a travesty. It's so sad that, that it was attached to that. I don't know if you remember growing up, you know, the words fob, fresh off the mm-hmm. boat. Yeah, yeah. And things like that were thrown out in very condescending ways. So if you mm-hmm. were someone who was particularly fluent or conversant in your language, or if you watched Bollywood or Tamil movies, or if you were really into your culture, you were called a fob and it was frowned oh. upon. And you yeah. were also encouraged to laugh at that and laugh at yourself for that. Mm-hmm. And those terms still bother me to this day because it should be seen as cool to be cultural. It should be seen as cool that you know your ancestral language and culture and that you're very in tune with that. And so going back to your question, Rami, definitely I think in India and Sri Lanka, people have now asked to wholesale the products in local bookshops in Chennai and things like that because there's been a dearth of products that have nurtured and tried to popularize you know indigenous languages and cultures in india and sri lanka themselves so yeah, yeah that's, that's an interesting, interesting take because i yeah. guess because we're not there we don't see that lens of how people might be deviating from mm. the roots yeah. yeah um which is really sad to hear um but it's cool that there's businesses like you trying to navigate that to kind of pull everyone back yeah, yeah. into exactly um into it um for your long-term plans with the business mm-hmm. what's your vision well, for now, I think it's going to be continuing to you know, expand on our educational products for young children. We started off with India and Sri Lanka, and we want to continue to develop products that are beautiful and attractive and easy to use for those lands. But I want to ideally expand beyond those two modern lands to other parts of South Asia. My ideal dream would be to expand the business into other indigenous um, mm. cultures and and indigenous groups to work with ambassadors and advisors from these other communities and organizations from these communities to work together to develop similar products that are going to, A, help them preserve and pass on their own language and culture among their communities, but two, to create products that are accessible to the rest of the world. 
to generate more appreciation yeah. and awareness of other people's cultures yeah. Yeah. and languages yeah. as I well. I think there's just so much power in that yeah. because it just brings Absolutely. more acceptance as a whole. Acceptance, but also getting you know different perspectives yeah. that you wouldn't normally get if you're only kind of stuck in learning about one, one. thing. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, definitely want to do that. But I, if I'm being honest, I've also dabbled um, with publications and looking oh, at developing wow. a publications arm where I envision it being a platform to give people of color and more communities of color and indigenous communities to step forth and bring their own voice to heritage and be able to reclaim their own narratives about their own stories oh, and awesome. history. I love that, yeah. And then finally, you know, as you know, when I walked into your um, home, I was admiring all the cultural artifacts and products <laughs> that you showcase here. And, you know, that's how our home is. So... I've always had this dream to go into a little bit of home decor mm. and curate products for adults yes. that are going oh, to, again, awesome. bring the culture and all these different elements into homes in a really beautiful way. Yeah. I would be your first customer for <laughs> yeah, literally every like, new wing that you're going Because into. a lot That's of amazing. the time, like we don't have <laughs> access to that stuff or know yeah. where to, to get it. I mean, yeah. send then your parents have kind of preserved it and brought things from Sri Lanka and India, but... Not everyone has access to that. So that's a wonderful idea. Yeah. Oh You're kind gosh. of like ticking every like stage of life, right? Yeah, I know. I want to do it all. Yeah. <laughs> Which my Appa thinks is crazy. No. <laughs> but it's funny because he's also the one that taught me to dream big mm. and just go for it. Sky's the limit. Yeah, yeah. So I know we've spoken, Akka, this whole time about how you've been really passionate about your culture and your heritage. But growing up in the States, was there ever a point where you – rejected or were almost like embarrassed of it and you know kind of found it hard to adopt like that western and that eastern culture definitely I mean you know it was all there whether you liked it or not right because I grew up in a very traditional community um, there were el elements of the culture that I was never resistant to and I think it's because of the community that I grew up mm. in we were made to feel very comfortable with our culture my amma for the longest time only wore saris and always had a long plait and a big pottu on her head at school pickup and whatnot. And, you know, I know for a lot of kids it was embarrassing, but we were okay with that. And if anything, I was a strange kid at the time who'd say, amma, can I wear a pava de chate to school and a pottu because it was fun to, you know, show yeah. off your cultural dress and, you know, the rituals and the practices but there were so many times that I was rejecting it as well. So growing up, Amma and Appa used to send us to Tamil classes, and I hated Tamil classes, you know. And uh, Amma would say, If you don't talk in Tamil, I'm not going to talk to you. And say, fine, don't talk to me. I'll talk to you in English. And, you know, yeah, we rebelled right. against it so yeah. much. And even going for Pata class and Luna class and Bardhanatiyam class, you know, you enjoyed it sometimes, but a lot of the time we hated the practice, we hated the trek to go to classes. Mm. But then you grow up and then you realize, I am so, so incredibly grateful for having all of this because it gave me grounding, it gave me humility, it taught me so much about what it is to be a, a human and to be someone who can respect and value, you know, all these rich traditions that have given us so much soul food I would say and it's only when you grow up that you truly appreciate the gifts mm, that these yeah, are yeah. and the value that it brings to your life and I remember when I had to write my admissions essay for university 
I think I wrote about Bharatanatyam and Karnataka wow. music and how they have been nothing short of another set of parents for me growing mm. up. They nurtured me, nourished me, and raised me and grounded me in the same way that my parents have done. And my parents, you know, fed me food, but these arts literally were my soul food that gave me so much peace and calm. And it's funny because even when I grew up and I was working overseas in different parts of the world all alone, at one point when I was in Swaziland, I remember having my Sudipati with me, my electronic one. And after work, when everyone had left the office, I would actually spend a half an hour and just practice my sanghi them because it was so nourishing for me and so nurturing for me so it's interesting how we fall back on these cultural arts because they are so wise they are so full of so much grounding and devotion to something deeper within us Yeah. yeah so going back to tamil though i resisted it for so long so even though we went to tamil school we learned to read and write tamil but could barely speak it then we go back to Sri Lanka during the ceasefire. So now we've already set up Tamil Youth for Human Rights. We're doing advocacy work. We're raising money for these orphanages and refugee camps. Go back to visit the orphanages. And guess what? I can't communicate with anyone. Mm. So I couldn't communicate with the kids. I couldn't communicate with the teachers. We went and visited some IDP camps in Bandi, And I couldn't communicate with anyone properly. So we had to have a translator so now what happens? Walls come up. They see you as yeah. someone other. Like a foreigner. You're a foreigner. Yeah. And the dynamic changes completely. And that, for me, was a big turning point. Yeah. I thought, this has to change. I can't even speak to my brethren or my family back home. Yeah. And here I am trying to come back and help, you know, rebuild communities and help contribute to relief efforts. I said, if I want to come back and do this professionally, or even if it's not professionally, I've got to learn my mother tongue. Yeah. And so that for me was a big turning point. And now that's why we're passing it on to our kids. And that's something that I think is really important for us. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know you touched on this a few times throughout the discussion, but why is it important to preserve and pass heritage forward? Um, when we talk about why culture is so important to pass on, you know, just a few things I want to add. If, have you guys seen The Incredibles? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So there's this quote that just stuck to me when Elastigirl looks at her kids before she's diving into like the lion's den. And she says, your identity is your most valuable possession. Protect mm-hmm. it. That to me was so poignant. And so this is kind of the message I pass on to my kids all mm-hmm. the time. I'm always reminding them. I'm like, do you know how lucky you are to be a descendant of one of the most ancient oldest languages and cultures in the world there's thousands of years of wisdom and art and science and philosophy just woven through this rich tapestry that you get to be a part of do not take that for granted when you think about that we're the descendants of some of the greatest sages scientists scholars philosophers that this world has ever known from one of the most ancient cultures of the world why would anyone consciously choose to remove those parts of your identity? Mm. To me, that would be the greatest travesty. Sure. And, you know, we do see that happen. Yeah. People are choosing very, very consciously to not have that be a part of their identity. Yeah. And I think it's not our contemporaries who are going to regret it. It's going to be our children. And more than likely, it's the, their children's children. Mm. So it's the future generations who are going to look back and when they ask questions, 
like why didn't they teach you so that you could teach me yeah or why didn't they care enough to preserve and pass that on to us i think we all need to ask today what will be our answers to those questions mm. i think we owe it to our ancestors and we owe it to future generations to do our part to pass on all of this richness to the next generation because it's not ours to keep and ours to get rid yeah. of it's something we're again safeguarding for future generations to fall back on. And I think the final part of it is that, you know, we've all now immigrated or have been born and raised in quote-unquote western countries and a lot of these countries had indigenous communities that were living here mm. and a lot of them have a very violent dark history of oppression, suppression, murder and the cleansing and elimination mm. of their own heritage. And again, I think about white privilege. Everyone's talking about white privilege, but we also are speaking and acting from a place of privilege mm. where we are living here free from ethnic persecution and access to all these beautiful opportunities and we're also sometimes finding ourselves fighting alongside our indigenous brothers and sisters here but can you imagine what an insult it is and what a shame it is that we're willing to consciously choose to sacrifice so much of our own identity and culture when they are mourning the loss of theirs of that they were stripped of. So I just think, why are we trying to assimilate here? Why are we trying to blend in at the expense of so much? You know, you have nothing to gain by doing that. In fact, you have everything to gain and you have everything to lose mm. by not mm. holding on to your culture and language and everything that you descend from. Yeah, that's such a beautiful point because to your point of the Indigenous community, even in Australia, they're fighting to keep their culture and languages and traditions alive because they've experienced it being stripped away from them in their own land. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, we're second gen Australians or Americans or whoever you are, but yeah, again, you don't realise the value of all the the culture and tradition that's available to you mm -hmm. and you just take it for granted a lot of the time as well where you're Absolutely. not yeah you're, you're making that decision to reject it because you've just not experienced what it's like to have it taken away from you exactly yeah. exactly and so it is privilege that sometimes keeps us away mm -hmm. from the things that we value most mm -hmm. and you don't know what you've got till it's gone mm -hmm. yeah but speaking to the parenting i think that you know, more than pressure, I think there is this deep desire and a keenness for me to pass it on to my kids. I look at our culture and I look at a lot of the practices that we have from the way we treat our elders to mm. the music to just even simple things like the food we consume. And I feel like it's just this treasure trove of tools that make it a little bit easier actually to raise children and inculcate them with the right values from the philosophical teachings to the rituals to the practices. Um, it impacts our daily lives and routines in such positive ways. And it's actually been a handy tool. So for example, with my kids, when they're walking and they accidentally kick a book, mm. I think, oh, immediately, yeah. the book. And then I think, okay, this practice of going back and touching the book and seeking its blessings and asking for forgiveness for essentially disrespecting it, that's teaching my kid to value their possessions. It's teaching them to respect education yeah. and resources. It's teaching them about being humble and having some modesty and humility. And so I think these are really important values yeah. and lessons just from a simple act of just 
asking the book for forgiveness yeah. for yeah. stepping on it's it. It's so deep, right? Yeah. There's like all these sort of things that seem irrelevant to do or you don't really understand the reasoning behind why, but you you, you yeah. just explained it beautifully just then. There's just so many layers to some of the traditions that we have in our culture and that a lot of South Asian cultures have. Yeah, I used to do the same thing with the books um, until a friend of mine in school noticed me doing it and kind of teased me for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so ever since then, I've done it, but in secret or like in, you know, the subtlest way possible. But to your point, it's attitudes like that, which kind of kill really deep traditions. Mm. So instead of, you know, shying away from it, I should take more pride in it instead of doing it kind of half-heartedly. Absolutely. I mean, when we created these products, we tried really hard to deconstruct the narratives that were imposed on us, particularly harmful narratives born from the colonial era. Mm. So when we talk about these with our kids, we're trying to question the way we were taught language, culture, and religion to our children and strain it of all chauvinism, prejudice, and mistranslation, right? And we're trying to find a way to make it more empowering to be able to retell and repackage all of these narratives in a way that gives voice to us and empowers us and empowers our children that's the only way they're going to find pride in their own culture mm. is by finding empowerment and nourishment from it. For sure. Mm. Yeah. It's funny. When we started the podcast, I explained this talk in between concept to my parents and I overheard a conversation between my mom and her best friend who is also Tamil and has raised two children in Australia, kind of roughly my age. And she was joking that, you know, they're the ones who should actually start a podcast because she felt like they're the ones who are really stuck in between because they're stuck in between their kids navigating and adopting elements from the Western world, which is foreign to them, but also the expectations of our grandparents' generation Mm. for us not to lose touch with our roots and to hold on to the same values as them. So, you know, as a young mum yourself who obviously places a lot of importance on passing on the culture of your ancestors to your children, but who's also raising them in the Western world. How has navigating that been for you? Because, you know, obviously you're raising your kids in Australia and they might identify as being Aussie as they grow up. Yeah. Um, Has it been challenging interweaving the Western side and finding the balance in that kind of regard? It's really interesting. Just what you said, saying then, So our parents' generation are a first of their kind. It'll Mm. never repeat itself. Mm. That generation that was transitioning as immigrants from motherland to now homeland. Mm. Our generation, again, another first of its kind. The first generation of immigrant families, right? And then our children will be, again, the final first of their kind generation. The children who are second generation who are born to the children of immigrants. Mm. And then from there on, it's going to start to plateau in terms of the uniqueness. So I think it's really interesting. I think the hardest part, to be honest with you, is just a practical one, a logistical one. How do we find enough hours in the day Mm. to be able to do all the activities that we Mm -hmm. want to do? Because the kids did gravitate towards ballet. I think Uh, learning languages is so important, but not just their own. So the kids have also been learning Spanish and French. And then they're also doing the Tamil at home. And so I think that's really important. They do go for their art classes. They go for gymnastics. I want mm -hmm. them to learn martial arts. So 
I want them to do tennis, you know, yeah. but I also want them to do Bardhanatyam, Sangeetam, which they've started now, and I yeah. would love them to do Vuna, but then there's also the academic demands as well. Mm-hmm. So how do they find a balance between social, academic, and then Australia, there's a heavy emphasis on sports, mm-hmm. plus all these extracurriculars. So it's the time factor. Mm-hmm. All of the folk who are part of this diaspora, a lot of us have a lot of the same challenges mm-hmm. of balancing East and West. And I think we're lucky. It just gives us more options to choose what we want to do. And I think everyone's just doing the best they can. It's mm-hmm. It goes to one of your recent posts, Find what's authentically you. Find what your interests are, or in the case of your little ones, what are they genuinely interested in, and just support them 100%. It doesn't have to be our traditions. It can be a mix of some of those. It can be some of the Western ones. But our kids are doing all of it. And I grew up that way as well, doing Taekwondo and gymnastics, going to Spanish and French class, but also going to Tamil class. And I think mm-hmm. that is the true definition of being they see. Mm-hmm. I think that is the bridge. It's this beautiful blend of the two worlds. I love yeah. that. Yeah. So um, going back to you know time being a barrier, mm-hmm. what do you think are the other challenges or why? parents might not pass on heritage to their children? I think my contemporaries and even the folks just maybe a decade older are really doing the best that they can and trying to raise their kids with culture and language as much as they can. I think sometimes there's a little bit of complacency that grows around it because a lot of of my generation I see rely on their parents Mm. and the grandparents to pass this information on by coming home and spending time teaching their kids a little bit of Tamil or a little bit about their Hindu religion or whatnot. But I think one of the biggest um, obstacles that my contemporaries face and future generations face is that they themselves don't feel like they have a strong enough grasp Mm. of their language and culture. So if they're not confident by with the knowledge that they have, they're not going to feel empowered enough to pass that on to their kids. And I think that that's one of the biggest obstacles here. I think another one, sadly, is this strong desire to assimilate mm. due to insecurity around your culture and language and being quote unquote different. When in fact, that's actually a strength. It's a superpower. And yeah. it's about celebrating and reveling in your uniqueness and what makes you different as well. And I've talked to a lot of friends who, especially in Australia, will say, you know, my kids didn't want to wear their traditional clothes because they don't want to get made fun of. And I'd rather life be easier for them. So I'm not going to encourage it either. And I sit there listening and my jaw drops and I'm weeping inside because I think you don't want them to be bullied. So you're going to support the decision Mm -hmm. to not wear cultural clothes do you not realize how beautiful they are and how if they can showcase that in their schools, it's opening up the minds of their classmates, but it's Mm. also a chance for their kids to celebrate and revel in what is literally the beauty of their culture. I have a lot of friends who anglicize their names, shorten their names. I think Mm. we've all been guilty of it, but we are not conveniencing anyone by compromising our identity. Mm. Your name is full of so much meaning and depth do not ever compromise that and shorten it to convenience somebody else. For sure. Yeah, mm. I love that. That's so powerful. Yeah. And I think it also ties in a little bit with what we're talking about in terms of internal racism from last mm. um, yeah. episode. And to your first point about people not being confident with their own knowledge to pass things on, what I love about your brand is you know how much effort you've put to include guides and transliterations to help people who might not be as familiar to learn things like pronunciations um, and like in a very practical way as well. 
which would empower parents who aren't as confident to teach their kids, but also help them learn themselves as well. Mm. That's exactly why we incorporated that into the design. So I, I, you know, I know that there's varying degrees of knowledge around language and culture in the diaspora communities. And I'm going to assume about 90, perhaps 95% of my contemporaries and onwards are not going to be literate in Tamil or mm. Hindi or whatever language it is. And so to that point, that's exactly why we created these tools to come along with the products. So it makes it user-friendly. No one should ever feel that it was because they didn't know enough that they, that they couldn't, couldn't pass it on mm. to their kids. The products take care of all of that for you. Even if the parent didn't want to be involved in it, the child, if they were, say, five years or older and were already able to read and write, they could pick up the products and learn it themselves mm. and learn the alphabet and how to say a few basic words mm. and a pronunciation. It's that's, all built in. And the goal is not to be fluent or conversant in the language. You know, it's not like you're going to play with this puzzle and then suddenly be able to speak Tamil. Mm. Tamil is an old, rich, ancient language. It's difficult, a yeah. very <laughs> difficult language to learn. Yeah. But it's just that first exposure. It's just that one little connection or link that you have with your ancestral language and culture. If you're going to go spend 20 bucks on an ABC puzzle, you can also get the same thing that's directly related yeah. to your ancestral yeah. heritage. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. But to answer your question, the third point I wanted to make about why parents might give up on mm -hmm. passing it on some of this knowledge to the kids is the practicality of it. Sometimes my own appa will play devil's advocate with me when he sees how hard it is for me to pass the language on to the kids. He says, why are you even bothering? What's the point? Where are they going to use Tamil and how is it going to be practical? Whom will they speak it with? And it's a good question to ask. But again, it just goes back to everything we've talked about mm. on why it's important. Mm. You know, it's not about us. It's not about where they're going to use it. I think we don't need to worry about that and burden yeah. ourselves with those questions. The important thing is we are doing our duty and fulfilling our obligation mm. to pass on something that we have been safeguarding for generations, mm. you know, passing sure. it on to the next one. So as we're coming to kind of the close of the podcast, what advice would you give to ensure that culture and language is passed forward to younger generations? There's so much people can do. Um, the first is to visit the heritage supply .com, <laughs> or in the case of australia.com.au and buy our products. But in all seriousness, there are so many brands now. I think, you know, we're all on the same wavelength here. So many of them have uh, started up and they've reinvented and repackaged language, culture and art in so many beautiful ways. And I would say the first thing is to go out, support all these small brands and and just appreciate the time and effort and energy that goes into creating and curating sure. these products. Yeah. It's a lot harder and a lot more time intensive and cost intensive as it looks. Mm. Um, I think the other thing is there's so many simple ways to bring culture into your life day to day. It's perhaps committing to having your food once a week. If you don't mm. know how to make it, ask your Amarapa to teach you how to make it. If it's not documented, documented. Mm, you know, when I one. had to yeah. learn from my ama, she just took me into the kitchen and when I would ask her for measurements, she would show oh. me with her hand or with the palm, just they, this much, this they much. They have no measurements. They'll just be pouring <laughs> things into the pot, being like, oh yeah, this much. And, you're and, like, you'll, oh and you'll just know, you'll just know. Yeah. I said, oh, I, just, I, don't I don't just know. know. <laughs> exactly. And so I started documenting it in our house. And so now I cook, 
you know, Sri Lankan food awesome. quite regularly in our home. So I think that's one really easy way. And while you're in the process of learning, and like we said, documenting it, that's another tool that's now going to be there mm. for the future generations. Mm. I think um, another thing is there's so many local organizations still. There's Balavihar schools, there's temples, there's cultural programs, music mm. programs. And, you know, I think the parents' generation have done so much to keep these things alive and to keep them relevant and keep them accessible within our communities but sadly i'm not seeing enough of our contemporaries taking advantage of these opportunities when i go i might know one maybe two people from my generation who are attending these events but otherwise it's all the parents generation still and i think it's really important for people to just prioritize and make more of an effort to take advantage of all these beautiful events that are happening locally bring their kids to them to expose them to art and music the way we were essentially dragged to these types of performances when we were young and um, make it cool again to be yeah. seen at them. I think people think it's better to you know be seen at some other social gathering or venue than to be seen at Riverside Theatre for mm -hmm. a Bharatanatyam performance. But I think we need to go back and question why. Where is that rooted, those yeah. thoughts and ideas for sure. Programs. And just as a follow up from that, what advice would you give for younger generations when their parents are trying to, you know, instill their tradition onto them, but they might be kind of pushing back a little bit? I would say just be open minded, mm. educate yourself on what these arts and cultures are all about. At the end of the day, it's soul food and nothing can mm. replace it. Like I said, it's so nourishing and nurturing. Just have faith and trust that what your parents are doing for you is truly for your best when it comes to passing on the arts and cultures. Because it's only when you're an adult that you'll truly appreciate what yeah. it is. And you don't want to have any regrets at that stage. Mm, you that. realize the yeah. value of it when Absolutely. you're an adult. Yeah, yeah. Well, to close off, do you have any recommendations for our audience? It can be a book, a podcast, anything really. Stuck in between. Oh. <laughs> you didn't have to say that. <laughs> Stuck in between the heritage of Paiko. But in all seriousness, each of us is an artist who has inherited a palette full of beautiful colors, a brush and a canvas. And this is a metaphor for how rich and abundant indigenous and ancient cultures are. So the question we need to ask ourselves is how bold are we willing to be with the colors, the blending and the methods with which we paint our life's canvas? I love that. I love oh my that. gosh. What a beautiful end. Thank yeah. you so much, Akka, for joining us today. We yeah, appreciate sure. we've appreciated this chat so much. Um, and I feel like we'll have a lot to talk about post this chat <laughs> yeah, as well. No doubt. <laughs> no, thank you so much, you guys. Honestly, same then Romy for starting this podcast and giving South Asians of all different backgrounds and from all different walks of life to have a platform to share their stories, to share why we decided to do what we do and start what we started. It really is so wonderful. And this is your major contribution, I think, to helping keep these conversations going and keeping them relevant and hopefully sparking inspiration in the future generations to, you know, be proud and stay connected to their ancestral culture and language. Oh, I just want to give you, you a hug now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we could say the exact same thing about what you're doing with your yeah. business. So, um, you know, thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so you. much. It's been <laughs> such a pleasure, you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss any new episodes and find us on Instagram at stuckinbetween underscore podcast. 
Join us next time where we chat with Helene Sarathkumar, founder of Couture and beauty company Gather and Stitch, on turning your passions into reality. See you then. Bye.